Hello, Podshot crew. It's Stephen from Scouted Football. Seb and the Alexes have been extremely kind to give me a slot on their show to let you all know about the big crowdfunding campaign we've got going over at Scouted as we relaunch our print magazine. We've got heaps of things planned for it, with profiles on some of our favourite up-and-coming youngsters, including Rasmus Hoyland, Ivan Fresneda, Gabri Vega and Alex Scott, as well as features on a wide range of interesting topics and a beautiful cover graced by Enzo Fernandez. Understandably, if you don't want to buy a magazine with a Chelsea player on the front, we've also got you sorted with an Argentina-themed hardcover edition as well. For more information, there'll be a link to our Kickstarter campaign as well as our Twitter in the podcast description. But be quick, the campaign will end on July 5. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 35 of the Potshot Pod. If you haven't worked it out already, it's myself, Alex, rather than Alex Towles, who'll be your host for today. Um, and what we're going to be doing over the next couple of pods is myself, Seb and Towles will be hosting our own pods just in this offseason for what we want to speak about. And what I want to speak about today is more of an intellectual endeavor, maybe, that might not end up being that important, but it's fun to do. So I decided to do it. Um, and that's theorizing about how we may shape up tactically next season. Um, last season, I think Arteta even hinted towards it, but it's been suspicions on this part for sure. And I think even in the news for months that our midfield would be re- reconstructed quite significantly going into next season. And I think looking at some of the players that we're interested in bringing in kind of already hints that those um, suspicions were correct. And we want to kind of look at starting with the midfield and the reconstruction of the midfield, how basically that tactically will um, have a knock-on effect to the rest of the team. And then ultimately we're getting to a new a new system, a new tactical setup going into next season rather than resting on our laurels and using the system that served us so well this past season. And I'm very happy today I have with me two of my favorite people to discuss football with, Lorcan um, at AlexWrites, LXWrites1, and Manus um, Watman AFC, both people who've been on the pod before. I think a nice way to intro this pod rather than asking you guys just how you are and then going from there is maybe something fun, which I want to call a pot shot question. And I asked both of you guys to come up with your favorite former Arsenal player to have played less than 100 times for the club. Um, Lorcan. Who did you have? I couldn't pick between two, as usual, so I picked um, <laughs> Eduardo and Kleb, Alexander Kleb. Wait, did Kleb play less than 100 times for the club? Yes. It, the doc that you shared, it wasn't on that, but I was like, I could have sworn it was less, and I looked up, and apparently it was like 79 or something. Um, That's mad. Okay, okay, I may have to change mine. Kleb is one of my favorite players of all time. I'll, I'll, I'll speak about who I picked just now, but Manus, who did you pick? So I, I'm surprised to hear that Kleb played 79 games. That seems strong. But I picked uh, Carlos Vela. Carlos Vela. Okay, that was my that was my pick. So I, I chose Carlos Vela. I was choosing between him and Eduardo as well. I, I chose Vela, just incredibly smooth footballer. Um, his chips, I was always so sure he was going to make it eventually. I was sad I'm, that he didn't happy eventually had it at Sociedad. But I have to say, um, Kleb... It's a huge surprise to me that he only played 79 games. I just looked, it says 89. 89, 89. The other one that surprised me was Podolski. I don't know why. I felt like he would have had about 120 or something at least. But but he only played, what, 80 or so games himself. 
before we get into the reconstruction of the team, I think in the midfield in particular, I think it's actually worth speaking about some of the transfer news going on because it's pretty clear who our targets are by now. Um, and I think you, you can already see it's Rice, it's Havertz and Timber all seem, there's a lot of news Ornstein's reported in all of them. It seems like two to three of them, I feel like are all going to happen. So I think we're going to speak about all of those. There's also Romeo Lavia and the Gundawan rumors that we've been hearing about. Maybe we'll touch on them. But I want to move through speaking about the midfield, starting with these players, because they're obviously going to impact it in a big way. But before we get there, let's actually speak about how we looked last season. Um, Lorcan, do you just want to take us through basically how we set up? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so from my eye, I thought it was a, like a 4-3-3 with a 3-2 build-up structure. Norm- um, normally it was Zinchenko who was inverting as the second pivot. Um, and that was one of our strengths, um, strong build-up. But then we also had uh, various methods of attack and progression. We like to go long with Ramsdale. We had really um, strong, fast and physical outlets um, among the front line. We're really good out of possession. I thought the press and counter-press was probably our best facet um, last season. And we had two strong, imposing centre-backs who could cope with being in a high line and stepping out when the other um, swept. Perfect. And Manus, do you think there were any particular strengths um, of that system? I think Lorcan touched on some, but also I'm quite interested since we are moving on from the system, hence the, the point of this pod, what do you think some of the limitations are that we saw from the system last season? Uh, I think one of the biggest ones we saw uh, towards the end of the season was adaptability and uh, probably got to do with more with the individuals rather than the system. Because the system doesn't change, it's whether the players that fit into that can perform the the same roles to a similar level or not. So I think adaptability and changing the system on the go to what the game state is and what probably the opposition is, I think, because we've spoke about this at length, I think, last season, because we just have a plan A, there's no plan B. So I think that's where uh, we have one one limitation, I think, in the system. Just just to make it clear, I think we're going to end up speaking about this a fair bit, but would you say then from last season, the issue was more a case of the backups not being able to replicate what we wanted from the, the system that we set out with, or the fact that the system itself was too rigid and couldn't really, wasn't malleable enough to incorporate new dynamics when our first choice players weren't available? That's, that's a tricky one, because, uh, because the system's there, and that's what the coach wants the team to play. Uh, so you can, I think you can say, make an argument, argument for both of those things. Um, the backups of the bench players, they don't necessarily have the same level to play, uh, because we saw that with holding and that we didn't have anybody in, uh, in midfield to progress. But the other way around is like we didn't adapt as well because perhaps our data could have changed something sooner. So like he put party at right center back when build build up or you know he he put Kivior in so i think perhaps a little bit of both i would agree with that i would agree with that and yourself Logan? Yeah. any limitations that you think revealed themselves um i think on yeah the um the one that manas just pointed out was probably the most obvious one i i do think the roles within some of the roles within the system were so specific and tailored to the individuals. Um, and therefore you end up relying on um, 
you know, whether it be technical brilliance, like Zinchenko, just for, as an example, wasn't a like for like for, um, sorry, Tierney wasn't a like for like for uh, Zinchenko, Holding definitely wasn't for um, Saliba. Um, other than that, it's hard. I mean, we were like, we got 50 points from the first 19 games using that system, um, which was on track for Centurions. But I think there were probably a few holes, but they've, they've escaped me now. <laughs> the one that I think about, I don't even know if I think this is a limitation yet, but I'm interested to see next season is definitely how we perform in terms of goal output, because I think we did have, and Rana spoke about it when he was on the pod, about Urdogo's overperformance in terms of scoring. I think even guys like Martinelli are good shooters, but overperformed as well. I think one of the things I want to see next season is whether we're going to be able to get these guys more chances. We can't necessarily rely on Gabby J at this point, even hitting his X3. So that's one of the things I don't know yet whether it's a limitation, but it's a question mark for me next season. Yeah, Lorcan. I think, um, yeah, I, again, because I haven't watched Arsenal in such a long time now, um, but I think, yeah, one of the things I was talking about was how heavily we relied on rotations as a means of creating um, threat, which is in part due to, like, the makeup of our front five, Shaka not being, like, super mobile between the lines, Odegaard having an angle bias and such, um, and Jesus just naturally being sort of that person who thrives in chaos. Um, so that was something that was really good, but at the same time, we relied on it a lot, and it meant that in certain game states, we could be really chaotic. Absolutely. Before we move into speaking about the reconstruction of the midfield, uh, Lorcan, would you mind just taking us through basically what you saw as the core roles for Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard, who were our starters for this past season? Yeah. Um, so I guess Partey, in, at least in build-up, was more of his coach to be more of a conventional six, um, take care of sort of horizontal connectivity and all that stuff, uh, with Zinchenko slowing next to him. Um, we'd have nominally high eights, but um, at least to my Shaka would um, periodically shuttle down next to the pivot as that plus one, and Odegaard would actually do that in certain games as well. Um, Odegaard, for me, was someone who dictated our attacks, um, set the tone for the tempos, was sort of the final third recycler, as well as wandering into those um, second phase zones. Um, both Shaka from deep and Odegaard sort of arriving would crash the box. I think we were, especially during the first half of the season, we're probably the best team in terms of um, overwhelming the opposition through pressure and box occupation. Um, and then Partey was somewhat of a, like kind of like a deep-lying playmaker, just in that um, there are a lot of passes into the final third through him, has a very good passing range, obviously. Um, especially vertically yeah exactly um, which was sometimes a problem as I think we talked about before <laughs> um, but yeah and also crucially out of possession because I think I've just talked about in possession um, but Odegaard would lead the press there was some strain on Partey covering space but then a lot of that was mitigated by um, Shaka sort of being that decision maker when to press up with that um, pressing unit and when to slot down um, to screen the back line next to Partey Absolutely. I thank you so much for covering all of that. And with Xhaka pretty much on his way out and seems like Partey may be leaving as well, there's been a lot of discussion about whether that's actually a good idea, whether this is a step backwards in you know in our aims to progress next season. Manus, what do you think about this? Do you think 
losing both Xhaka and Partey have been incredibly important pieces in this side for this past season. Do you think that that is as big a deal as people are making out, or do you think maybe it's a bit overblown? I think it is significant uh, to lose both because one, we need to respect uh, Xhaka's decision that he wants to go to the, you know, he, his wife wants to live uh, not in England anymore, so he wants to go. That's fine. But I think, and I tweeted about this as well that we might be taking on more of a build build up, uh, sorry, a rebuild than we intended to this summer. Uh, so I think a little bit of continuity and the experience that party brings in midfield would have gone a long way. Uh, so I think we've sh- we're sort of pushing uh, the board out on that a little bit uh, with the rebuild. But I, I, I would like to retain party uh, because I assume that perhaps Jorginho might move out and that doesn't really, uh, you know, move your squad that much in the sense that he was here only for one year. But perhaps now we retain Jorginho instead of party because we might get more money for him. So... I think it, we might be fine in the end, but I think and I will touch upon like how Rice will fit in because we were having discussions on like he may be playing eight, so now that might change. Actually, I want to go right from there. Then let's get into it. I think we're going to start off the reconstruction with the midfield with Declan Rice. He's been for months now our top target. He's probably the guy we're going to spend over a hundred million on by the end of this when all's said and done. Let's start off where we actually think he. We see him fitting into the midfield next season because for myself, the idea when I first actually came up with this pod um, was I had an idea, particularly the whole Rice Sayado thing, that we would actually have two sort of six, eight types of players that that dovetail in a double pivot and have different different qualities that they can both offer. Obviously, there's some questions about, you know, the goal output potentially, but I think it the ideas that I had is to be able to sustain pressure really well It'd be an incredible shield, meaning you can commit one of your fullbacks further forward. Um, just a lot of physicality and technicality in the middle. Those were my ideals. I definitely did like the right side. And I also think Kai Sedo, who it seems like we aren't going to be going after, was a nice complementary profile in a certain way to Rice if they had to play it together. But without that happening, where do you guys now see Rice being played next season. Where do you, he's probably going to be the guy in our midfield. No one spends a hundred million for someone to be, you know, a backup. So, so where do you guys see him playing, uh, Lorcan? Yeah, I think like you did really well to to touch on the. I mean, what now looks to be a hypothetical dynamic between Rice and Caicedo, and that's probably significant in that like it's that constant like this the double pivot as it were situational. Um, relative to uh, phenomena on the pitch like players and the ball and such. That being said, uh, and I completely agree with that, but I think Rice always was and will continue to be the six. Um, If you look at like sixes, like take, I don't know, like Jorginho, uh, Rodri, maybe Fabinho, like I don't think he'll be that rigid with his positioning. And I think Arteta probably does have some um, exciting plans in mobilizing him which i've been like excited about for quite a while um and i think that's made as you said made all the more easier with a pivot partner whether it's for whether it would have been from right back or starting central midfielder in caicedo um because you have sort of these both of them are almost one-man transition stoppers um 
So the idea of pushing up rice almost as like a box to box in certain game environments is cool. And I think we'll definitely do that. But I think rice is definitely the six. And I think he'll ha- he'll be coached to do the things that sixes do, which he can do, but he's not, he still struggles with some of the fundamentals. Manus, what are your thoughts, particularly um, regarding his strengths in both the eight and the six area, which don't necessarily go together in terms of how you want to use the player positionally? Yeah, I think initially uh, when we were having stock, we thought that Rice was going to be like for like, sort of like for like, but certainly slightly better replacement for Xhaka. And he'd go straight into eight and party would continue continue to be the six. But now uh, I think that like we don't have an option. Rice will need to be coached. Uh, and like Lawton just said, some of the fundamentals, uh, I think his positioning and just like being that slow uh, player and then sticking to his position and six. I think there's there's a fair bit of learning that he needs to do. And uh, so he, I'm, I think he starts at six now. Uh, especially if party gets sold, so I think I don't think that there's we don't have anybody else in the squad who starts there. But perhaps maybe Jorginho to begin with this season uh, if he stays. But we'll see. Uh, and uh, I think with Caicedo again, like th- this was his talk, uh, like he he might go out into the A position or and you know like you said that they're top tail and do that. But if you if you think back back to 2020, I think. Uh, even in the initial uh, Arteta days, I think it was clear that he he was going to play two eights, and then he slowly built up to that. And finally, this season we started playing two eights, but one of them was a centre midfielder because he wanted that extra security in midfield. But now he, I think, now he's looking for his, the actual players who can both press, fall back, and create between the lines. So I think that combination, like that's what like his phase four is. Perfect. I think what I want to bring up, and this is even when it came up months ago before we were even linked to Rice, I remember uh, Shuelan, friend of the pod, part of Scouted, go sign up for their um, Scouted 001. I think we're going to drop a a message from um, from them in this pod. But I remember when he first suggested Rice as a six, and I've always, that I have certain issues with Rice is that I think maybe it's you know, a bit of a personal thing. I really like a six that is very good in that first phase, which is where I've always seen Rice having a bit of a weakness and why he gives me a little bit of an ick deeper. And then I, I even remember saying on that pod that where I could see him, and this is where I spoke with you, Manus, is that I could actually see him as a upgrade on Xhaka in terms of the dynamics that we use. So my, my case for him as an eight back then was basically, of course, that box-to-box running power. I actually think he's, he's quite a good off-ball mover particularly in terms of his timing. He's also a very good carrier. Um, and I also, I think the way the dynamics of that system is that we can actually get a lot of goals out of him. He's also got good ball striking, at least in, in my estimations, and someone who can really pin physically, get into those spaces and create opportunities for others, is that you get all of that with still having, because of that mobility, because of his defensive sensibilities, having someone who you don't really lose anything defensively and Maybe it's a bit more conservative than having someone like Havertz who will get into, or, or even Smith Rowe, or even Gundogan who have been linked up as that other eight, as the left centre mid to replace Xhaka. But those were my ideas for him as an eight. Why do you guys think what he brings as a six? And also I'm interested if you think he's improved in that regard in terms of being able to, to build out the back. One of my big issues is I don't think he's particularly good as much as I think he's a very good dribbler 
when he's facing forward, he's very good at beating pressure. When he has his back to the opposition and he's facing his own goal, I've always found him like a little bit almost, yeah, exploitable. And I think we actually did exploit them um, the first time we played West Ham last season. We had Odegaard on his back the whole time and it caused them huge problems actually building out. Not that they try to build out as much as us, but that's exactly the problem. So so where do you guys think we're actually going to be able to build around that and how we're going to use him as a six? Uh, Lorcan? Yeah, I think the... Um... The weakness that you bring up is definitely a legitimate one. Like I've had friends tell me he's um like a wide centre back that you use. Um, which like Yeah, is, I don't agree with that. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's true. Like he's much better when he's facing play. Um and like I said, I think we can still use um a lot of those the strengths that he has carrying with carrying the ball, um, running even without the ball, um, being used as sort of that timely um auxiliary fifth or sixth man in attack from the six which is not um conventional at all but i still think he can do it i think as well one of the reasons why he is your six rather than your eight is like he is i said it before but he is a one-man transition stopper like he can cover so much ground um he'll match his man stride for stride he can for his size and speed as well he can decelerate in an instant um, he is like just a bit of a freak. I, I still think like an um, and a proper midfielder. I, that being said, he does need to improve on those aspects of the game that you talked about. I think his orientation when receiving is pretty bad. It limits his angles. Um, but yeah, I I still yeah that's why I see him as a six. What he can offer in rest defense, particularly. Um, but that's not to say that I don't think he has a function further forward in the right game environment. Mm, I'll also add one other thing where I see him as it definitely in terms of how we've used Partey dropping into our own box to defend it at times. I think that's something Rice has shown at West Ham to be absolutely brilliant at. And even with the other players that we've been linked with and we have aren't necessarily all the best airily and physically in the box. Um, I'm thinking Yuri and Timber in terms of who we've been linked with. Saliba is someone I've had problems with body to body aerial duels. So that is another thing I do like about him. Or out of possession as the six, although I think it's something you could use as an eight as well. Uh, Manus, I think before we move on here, I want to ask you kind of a double question. Is firstly, how do you think um, we'll make use of Rice maybe with these weaknesses, how we will build around it? And then more generally, how are we going to mold the rest of the midfield and thus team around having him as our six? So I think uh, now that our thinking is slightly changing on him and Let's assume he starts. He starts at six. Uh, if he's not able to, you know, back to goal, uh, he's not able to build up any like sort of. He's not able to get the ball out, and like Lopin said, he has sort of like you can't turn that quickly. Like it sort of seems clunky on the ball, a little bit fell turning. What we can do is we have Zinchenko, so who will anyway invert, but he doesn't do that from as much from goal kicks if I remember. Or maybe I'm wrong. But he can come in early a little bit. So that sort of, you know, takes a man away from him and then he can build through, uh, out through him. Or if, uh, you know, in the summer, you know, Arteta is going to work with him. And if it doesn't work out in the initial games, we can just start with a double pivot. I think part of the evolution from last team's um, dynamics were, like, as as crucial... As, and we'll like talk about this, but as crucial as Shaka was to midfield dynamics, 
and dynamics as a whole. In settled possession, we didn't really have qualitative superiority between the lines. And I do think that while Rice would make like a cool box-to-box, it's not really a characteristic of... Rice as a box-to-box doesn't really... It wouldn't be a hallmark of of a title winning team, in my opinion, because like in settled defense, you have whatever it is, like a uh, box midfield. And where is he? Like he's is he with his back to goal, with even less space between the lines further up the pitch? I just don't see it sort of working. I just wanted to talk about that. Yeah, no, I do buy I do buy that point. I think particularly if we're thinking of him um, without having Caicedo next to, there's different sort of dynamics about who receives when and where they carry from. Um, I want to move from that then, speaking about someone who will be receiving higher. And this has really thrown a span into the works of, all, I think, all of our thinking, potentially. I definitely know myself in Lawkins, is this interesting Kai Havertz who, from today, uh, we're recording on a Wednesday, looks like he's probably going to be announced by the end of the week um, for £65 million. The idea of him, apparently, is to be used has that left-sided eight nominally, at least. Um, he's really an interesting profile as a player because he's not really a forward, he's not really a midfielder. He's that shadow striker type of in-between, shadow striker and 10, um, where his biggest asset is his off-ball movement and, and sort of sense of movement there, right? So I think people have been calling him a Reimdeuter. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm I'm interested because this isn't really at all... I was thinking of players, and even I could have imagined Xavi Simmons when we were linked with him, I thought, okay, that makes sense, sort of as that left eight shadow striker player himself, but I did not imagine Havertz being that. So what are your general thoughts on us being about to sign Havertz and what what he's going to offer the team? Uh, Manus. So this was a bit of a curveball, um, and uh, this sort of reminded me of when Arteta was talking about uh, I think in a press conference towards the end of the season, like there are ideas that I haven't even touched upon yet with the team because I, I don't feel that they're ready to, you know, as perfect. So I don't know what he's got cooking, but uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but, but we've seen those videos of uh, Tuchel and, uh, you know, Henri talking about him like, like an RPP type striker. And, you know, he goes straight into number nine, but I like, I'm not sure uh, because we're sort of biased by the last three seasons that he's played at Chelsea, like he hasn't looked like the most comfortable number nine. But yeah, he is definitely that 9.5, 10 and a half type, type of player. Um, so, but now the confusion is, does he move Odegaard out of right center mid? Uh, or does he play at the tip of the diamond more central? And does Odegaard, you know, sort of drop in a little bit? Um, does he go straight into left centre mid? So I think my initial thought is that he goes left centre mid. That sort of balances the team out. You can go box midfield from that. You can go go. You can do a diamond. You can do whatever you want depending on like how the opposition midfield is set up. And I think he'll he'll rotate with Jesus, who likes to drop further back anyway. So I think he'll rotate. And uh, I don't feel like he has an angle bias because he can make those channel runs as well. So I think he's going to be that attacking Shaka if you think about it. Yeah, I think um, we we obviously tend to talk about player roles with consideration of how the team looks as a whole, and this is like pretty difficult because I actually I've thought about it loads and I have no idea how a team with both of Odegaard and Havertz 
looks like out like especially out of possession but also kind of in possession um i think he works best at the top of like a diamond just behind a striker um who can run the channels and hold up play um and sort of working in his shadows as it was as you said as a ramdoita um i saw this um statistic um from a graph on twitter where he's in the 90th percentile for expected threat receive so he's obviously really good at picking up those pockets as Odegaard is actually. Um, and he's that tweener. And I think it's that it's really hard to talk about him on a podcast because like almost every single thing you say about Havertz, good and bad, has a caveat. Because like he can look like Robin Van Persie or Dennis Bergkamp in a second. And then he can also just look like what the common perception of Kai Havertz, which is just a very bad football <laughs> player. Um, so it's really difficult. I think... If he's whether or not he's the left the the Shaka replacement, whether that's like an issue of semantics or not, I don't know. I don't think like for all intents and purposes, I don't think he is. Um, I think he might be the name on the team sheet instead of Havertz, in, instead of Shaka. Sorry, but if you look at what Shaka does in terms of like screening the back line um, and aiding build up in the second phase, I don't think he should or will do any of that. Um, so yeah, I think. We have to kind of start this off. It, it sounds weird, but almost divide it from in possession to out of possession first in terms of thinking about how we're going to use them. I know that's counterintuitive because the player has to play both roles. It's been the biggest issue with Havertz, but I, I certainly see him being an evolution of what we've done with Jacques in possession, right? So I think we spoke about just now about how Rice would be an issue receiving high. That was absolutely an issue for Xhaka even those runs beyond the defense um, and linking up, those were all kind of positions that we'd found Jacques in as a result of last season's system that we couldn't really extract proper value because he played there, right? Um, as good as a play as he is overall, I've, I've always been a big fan of, of Jacques. That's not really where his ability comes to the fore, but it is where the system found us trying to extract from him. And I think I can imagine Havertz doing a lot more damage in those positions even with similar sort of problems that that Xhaka has maybe in terms of, I don't know, being able to take players on and, and dribble with it. I'm not really sure where Havertz is like that. From the player that I've seen at Chelsea, which is I've watched far more of him at Chelsea than I have it at Leverkusen, I have to say I've never been that impressed by him in that respect. And also the other aspect I want to say is I don't think he works that well off the left. And I even spoke to um, CFC Central fantastic account Chelsea account who also spoke about his weakest performances coming when he's on the left side which is where you he would he would kind of fit in positionally if he was to step in for for Xhaka so I have some questions there but I can absolutely see him as you guys have both spoken about because of the qualities that he does have you know just being off the striker even coming into the space that Jesus has um vacated and actually doing damage there in possession it's out of possession that i am confused about what we'll do with him because first of all odegaard's always been the guy leading our press even when gabby came in last season we thought he'd be leading the press now because of you know um pep calling him the best presser in the world and all of those things odegaard was still the guy and now i don't ever see us having Havertz being the guy in a settled block dropping into the second line. So so it's a, it's a difficult one, but I think maybe this is what part of the discussion of this pod is going to be looking at different ways in which rather than having a set system every or set tactical setup where you know players every every time will have someone playing a certain type of 
left center mid role in the left center mid position. It may change game to game. Um, that's the best I can do with that. I definitely have questions about him defensively, but I guess it's about whether we can make up for it, especially with someone like Rice being able to basically be a superhuman um, in terms of of filling those space and protecting those areas. No, I was just going to say, I was wondering, because obviously like there's so many angles to consider and that's what we're doing. But if you think about what the key reason like Arteta got him for, which obviously we won't know, we can only guess. But I think you touched on how Arteta's at first, at, at earlier points of the rebuild, was looking at nines that could be a conventional nine and can be um, sort of a false nine. And Jesus is a version of that, to be fair to him. But I think Havertz, getting Havertz in is a really unorthodox way of doing it. But ultimately, I, th- I think it's a way of getting box threat into the team. And he's not really... He can't do that by himself. He's not like a great box threat by himself in, in all game environments because he just struggles with contact. He struggles controlling the ball with contact. And he's just, yeah, he's not a lone striker yet. I guess he can grow into his body, but he's already, what, like 24. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's an unorthodox way of sourcing box threat by him playing behind the striker. I don't know how that works, but yeah. Yeah, I think I was I was just thinking that maybe we're just shoehorning him into the team because Shaka's leaving and because we first did it with Rice and now we're like sort of thinking about this with Harvards. Like who's who is actually that, you know, player? Uh I think I'll connect, like at maybe moving a little forward, but we were trying to get Gundagan in. Who would who would have been the perfect replacement for Shaka, right? But yeah, like like Lorcan just said, like, we don't really know. So he might actually just be going in and playing nine, like like he's been doing at Chelsea. Like he might just be that guy, and we're just we might just throw Rice in at eight, and Party still starts at six, assuming that he's not sold. Uh, you know, we sort of rotate him with Jesus uh, game in and game out, because we saw like towards like the end of the season, like we completely like they had no legs. Um, Jesus had no legs. Even Saka had slowed down. Like he didn't have a pretty great end of the season. Uh, so maybe we're just shoehorning him currently. But yeah, I'm I'm just thinking like he might just go in and be the nine. You never know. Would you say that that you think that's more likely than him being the sort of nominal left eight? Um, no. I mean, to me, uh, as the system has been so far, I think that he for me he he goes in and yeah in the left center mid position as the left eight. And you sort of rotate that square box. Maybe you want to do a diamond and just get him central a little bit. And you push out Zinchenko maybe a little bit forward, uh, which he has done. Like Zinchenko likes to come forward a lot. So you balance it like that perhaps. Uh, so it could be a hybrid. But for me, like in this system, I look at him as left eight. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I did wonder about sort of like this weird rotating box into a diamond. Um, and in that vein, Zinchenko sort of being from the second pivot into um, the left center, left central midfielder of the diamond. And it also gets you sort of six lanes in attack, which I think Arteta has been looking to do. Um, and we get to do it without overlapping a fullback. But then, I mean, yeah, maybe it's too early to bring in this point, but then it's like, who is that right central midfielder? It would be Odegaard, we'd assume. 
and then suddenly suddenly you're kind of sacrificing some of the fundamental building blocks of the team in winning your duels and counter pressing and being that force in the middle of the park and i just wonder if it's like i said it made so much sense but like i just wonder if rice is that good as sort of a store himself for us to be counter pressing with zinchenko and odegaard as who don't who can't eat up space who aren't strong in the tackle i just I'm, that's why i'm confused to defend odegaard I think he's an incredibly intelligent player in anticipating where moves are going to go through, who he needs to kind of pick up in those counter-pressing moments. I mean, you can see him even as he's moving forward to contribute, he's immediately thinking about the transition moments. But I mean, I think that that's also a different issue when he's now slightly further away and it's not about catching them right as they receive. It's about now having to stop them when they've had the ball and being able to turn. So that's an interesting thing I hadn't really thought about in terms of how it may impact our counter-pressing. I guess what we could see, especially now with something like interest in, in Yuri and Timbu, obviously adds paces, we're pushing up, even being even more aggressive with our back line, um, and then using Rice, kind of pushing Rice further up itself. Very brave sort of tactical solution, I would say. Um, I'm not sure if that's the idea. I wanted to ask, though, Lorcan, who are the six then? You said a six-lane attack. So who would that be then? Um... Martinelli off the left, Sack off the right, Jesus saw and catcher in the middle, and then Havertz in that sort of like interprets where he moves in the same line as the striker, but just the where the mm. striker isn't, as it were, where the striker vacates, um, and then the two central midfielders of the diamond. So it operating would, the half spaces. Yeah, exactly. So it would be that's why Caicedo made sense to me because Caicedo from right back or Zinchenko from left back, and then the other central midfielder who's the real central midfielder as it were which would probably be Odegaard but for me that doesn't work and doesn't work because basically it's not enough athleticism yeah pretty much and dueling ability yeah okay yeah how do we think that we could potentially solve this because this is is interesting to me at least in terms of trying to figure out a way that it works I mean one of one of the things that we have kind of we've seen people speak about is Odegaard obviously operating on the right of this diamond Oh, sorry. I was actually wanting to make a point about the previous one, but Go for uh, it. I think uh, about having six lanes of attack, I think that's not something that we might see versus perhaps if you're like building up in the second phase. But if we're facing uh, like versus, um, I think we were facing Wolves last or it was Forest in the last game, then they had five at the back. And in the second half, uh, he pushed another attacker up to make it six. So I think that's when we need the six person. Because we do, you don't yeah, really need a six-lane attack with, with four defenders. Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing is that just in terms of how we utilize Saka and Martinelli, you'd think when you want to create the six lines, you actually want them coming narrower. Particularly Martinelli getting him closer to goal rather than starting out wide when you occupy those. So I guess that's the other thing is that do we see someone like Havertz as the way Inshaka has done, and I think has done decently, moving out and occupying wide and allowing Martinelli to come in. Do we see Havertz doing that? Especially keeping in mind stuff that I have heard from Chelsea supporters who I think know their stuff, saying that he's particularly weak off the left. Yeah, I mean, um, I think he can do it because like, he'd still be on his strong foot. 
and like like we said like he can run those chances he can make the underlap uh like there were a lot of times last season when i think shaka was sort of reluctant to make that underlap run or that overlap run where like he, as an as an eight uh i think he he should have made that run but whenever he did make those runs like a few games in the start of the season then here and there he did it like he actually got into very threatening positions like to shoot and to create so i think like there's something there but i don't know like if if havertz is starting as the nine and running channels and going to the left that's a completely different sort of game side scenario to if he's starting left center mid and then he's making those runs um the other thing i'm interested in is i've spoken about him being weak on the left is people have some people have spoken about him as a potential odegar replacement personally i don't see it i think odegar is pretty important to how we build some of the questions that have come up is do we see Uruguay the dynamics flipping and Uruguay ever playing on the left it's something that seems to come up every now and then as a as a discussion point um but yeah we've never seen it happen even i think a couple seasons back where it made sense to even play him there because we were struggling i think this was um yeah 2122 right that season i don't know if we'll see it but it doesn't make sense then maybe that we have someone like Havertz playing on the right hand side with his preferences there and also do we see him as an option um to kind of you know rotate with Saka even um yeah i i guess i'll go first i i i yeah i guess i think i'm of the mindset that i'd actually rather have Havertz starting as the right eight well in the, in the high right eight zones um, with Erdogan switch out to the left, just because I don't, I, as you said before, like I don't think Havertz is too good on the left hand side, um, and I prefer him attacking the box as well from the right. Um, yeah, that creates problems with what we do with Erdogan out of possession um, in terms of screening the back line next to the six. Um, but also, yeah, Havertz as the Saka backup. I did wonder about that because he's just not a right winger. Um, but he is a left foot who gives you passing angles inside. So I wonder if he could be... I know in Leverk- during his Leverkusen days, he was really good, sort of, especially in transitional moments, in the right half space, combining and getting closer to goal. So whether we could have White um, being used as sort of that timely overlap for him to get into those zones, maybe. But like, I don't love it. It's White. Yeah, I don't love it. Um, I, I still think Jesus is probably our, our best right winger behind Saka. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, whenever I've seen Habits out wide, I've been particularly underwhelmed, which is why, I mean, I've heard that he's being, you know, he's an option for the front three. He can be an eight and a ten. Um, I can definitely see him as a central forward, um, particularly as an appeal to someone who could be appealing to Arteta. He kind of covers the base. Things that Arteta does want from his center forward in terms of technicality. Um, I think he's even better at kind of exploiting you know, space and finding opportunities. And then I do think, I know that his physicality has kind of been under question, but I think he's better aerially than anyone we have had. And I think we've seen, I've spoken about this pod, like ad nauseum on this pod. Um, but I think he is someone who could be seen kind of as a, not a target man, maybe, but an aerial threat, a bit more of a focal point to be used. Um, I have some questions about when he's good at finishing and when not. It seems like it's not just so as simple as him being a bad finisher, but it's very situational. Um, Whenever he's kind of riding challenges and stuff, I understand that that's when he's weak. That's probably why he's been underwhelming as a forward, Um, particularly in terms of his finishing and he can't create separation. He doesn't have that 
explosiveness, but arriving onto challenges and maybe arriving onto the ball, sorry, into situations that makes sense with, with Jesus. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I see him. Um, the one other thing I'm interested in is maybe if we can combine this rice idea of maybe him pushing forward, obviously rice has a left interior bias. I think if Havertz is moving that far forward, could we use rice with his raw ability to move up and down as kind of moving into that zone and then potentially having, I don't know, one of the, the fullbacks kind of covering that space. Would that be something that you guys see as viable or too unstable? Yeah. So, um, so you're saying if Rice from six moves up uh, into the space that Havertz empties and, and, and Havertz goes more central. Uh, or just, that's the thing. Where does Havertz really take up that position? He kind of just goes off waiting in that space off off Jesus. Yeah, so if if Jesus and Havertz both are playing, then perhaps Jesus comes out of that position a little bit central. So that gives you a base. Uh, if you if you really want to push Rice, you know, further up, but I think Zinchenko anyway, like naturally he he wants to be in that space anyway. Whenever that's vacated, and sometimes he's right at the edge of the box in that like left eight position. So I think it's all about having a base of like at least two people below the five, and then you have like you can perhaps push one center back forward and like spread that out, and have two center backs and like a two three when you had attacking really high up. So it's it's really about like having sufficient number of people in the base. So as long as you have that, you can then you may push right from the left a little bit higher. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the exciting thing or one of the things I'm excited about next season is having that auxiliary sixth man further forward because I think we've seen how we could do it with Kivior and how Kivior's. Um, a better option in that perspective than say like a Gabriel and we've seen White do it on the overlap um, and I we've already talked about how we could see Rice do it and that was also why Ricedo was so cool because if Caicedo was say like just starting from right back inverting in the 3-2 structure and then we'd have Rice maybe fill in that, pace, that place that um, Havertz empties you'd have even if you had to as it were, too many men, too many um, men forward, say like six, and your rest defense was just a three-one. You have Caicedo as the lone pivot in that moment. Whereas now, like, who? What is the plan? Like, uh, maybe that does. Yeah, it, it's just who's that Zinchenko? Like, I, I would not want to see sort of a five-lane attack against Zinchenko. <laughs> I wouldn't want it to be Zinchenko. I was wondering. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly sure. And see, it's, it's sad to actually have to get over the Raisedo dream. Um, Maybe that's where Timber comes in, I guess. Yeah, that's what actually what I was thinking. I was going to save it for later, I think, when we get there. But I, whether Timber actually comes from either the right-back position or actually rather even central-back, the centre-back position, right? Um, but before we get there, the f I, I forgot to actually bring this up, but I think one of the main issues with Havertz before we move on from him is him actually being someone who helps us build out of the first and second phases into the final third. Because I think we know that he's dangerous once we've got the ball forward, but that is one of the issues, particularly now when we think alongside Rice, who we've spoken about potentially having difficulties in the first phase, is is Havertz someone that we actually think that can help us build out there? kind of almost makes the problem worse. Um, or do we think that he's fine there, or do we think there's another way of building out? Amanis, um, do you have any... Ideas. I think I think Logan touched upon it 
initially when we were talking about this like he him in the left spot like the, is he really good enough to help us build up or like drop go wider build up like is he comfortable doing that does he even want to do that because like he's gone on record to say like i'm 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 happy from the right side where odegaard plays or i'm happy with like the striker position so there's that's still something to think about and i, I don't think he'd be comfortable himself doing it but we don't like if there is a vision from the coach like and he really wants him to be in the left spot so i think that's something that he'd be coached on but i want to touch upon one real quick thing before we move on from harvards is that like i was reading this tweet from squawka like he has among like goals and shots on target uh, he won possession the most number of times for chelsea in the final third and he has the most duels won so that's in, interesting in terms of that counter press uh, you know like uh, we have uh, having that doubt on him like whether he can contribute i think he will uh, win duels uh, when he's in there Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. I can definitely see something where where we started off speaking about with that diamond shape. I kind of almost forgot it momentarily where we actually have Odegaard really helping building from deep. It also allows Rice to actually move more towards the left if he needs to and Sinchenko to either be operating on the side there or if Rice moves forward operating um filling that space behind. So I can kind of I can see how it works. It's definitely maybe the transfer that i'm i would say especially at the fees that he's going for and the reported wages i'm least hot on but most interested in for sure um let's let's move forward um we've spoken about some of the other midfielders there's obviously guys that we may need to bring in like romeo lavia it looks like gundogan is going to barcelona um havertz is someone that i can definitely see as as backup to and competition to havertz um but moving forward it's now really how we kind of support that midfield we were just speaking about Zinchenko in the role that he'll play. Um, but the other person that we've been linked to, who's really, I think, for me at least, been informative of now the plan for what, how we're going to build up, because we were linked to guys like Sasha Bowie and to Canseo, who offered different things. But Urien Timber seems to be the guy that we're going for. It seems to be someone that we actually are already quite close to signing. What do you think this now means for how we're going to build up? Um, Lorcan? Yeah, um, so I haven't watched loads of Timber because I don't watch, um, well, I was going to say I don't watch the Dutch League. I actually don't watch much of any other leagues. Um, but I've watched some of him and I don't like the idea of him starting as a right back, um, particularly out of possession. I don't really like the way he defends wide areas. Um, and from people who I've listened to who are Ajax supporters or Eredivisie watchers, um, they've sort of compounded that view as well. I think one of the things I was thinking of, and as well that I haven't reached any hard set conclusions, which is why, and a lot of that for me has to do with Havertz and being Havertz and Odegaard on the same team. But one of the things I was thinking is, if our build up remains a three, the sort of conventional three two structure that a lot of teams use, Zinchenko is obviously that second pivot. But if Zinchenko doesn't play and Kivior plays as the left back. Um, as we saw in the running, which I know Zinchenko was injured, but I do kind of think Arteta will use that. Um, you'd normally think like it's a, we flip the dynamics and we have the right back invert, and that's what Partey did. But I think we do the stones, as it were, like what where the centre back is 
the pivot. And I do wonder whether that's Timber is sort of the alternative profile to when Zinchenko isn't in the team. Um, now, when he's in the pivot, I think he's comfortable in those sort of six areas uh, in terms of retaining the ball um, and hasn't got an angle bias. He doesn't like thread the needle like Zinchenko does. Uh, I can think of like a few performances where Zinchenko was huge. Uh, I think Newcastle at home, he had a really good performance. I know we drew that game. Uh, Everton, he got that assist for sort of like where he's threading the needle from those positions. And I know that's not what Timber does, but I think this is part of um, making the build-up sort of impenetrable, irrespective of which players out, um, which it wasn't in the run-in because Saliba and Tomiassi went out and everything went to sort of chit hit the fans. So I think that maybe could be an avenue we Arteta wants to pursue. Yeah, I think... Uh... Uh, I was thinking about the same thing uh, that either so I was thinking about this in in halves of in, in halves of the pitch rather than uh, positionally because I wanted to think about how many defenders we have on the right side and how many do we have on the left side. So we have like White and you have Saliba and then you have Timber who can play both right centre back and he can go right back as well. I think like yeah, defending that right back zone, I'm not too sure about him. But in right centre-back, like Jokin said, like, we can do a stones with him. Because, uh, even like I don't watch Kadaj uh, League that much, but I, there was a clip where I saw uh, from right centre-back, he stepped into midfield and then the left-back moved to the centre-back position to pull out uh, one of the attackers so that he could play through the middle. And I think he's one of the good qualities that I could spot in like the clips that I saw was like he's very comfortable on the ball. So he's not yours in Chenko where he can like thread the needle and he can really progress through tight gaps. But he's really, really comfortable on the ball and carrying it as well. So uh, it's something that really jumped. It's almost like he's a center midfielder uh, playing as a defender. Like he's very, very comfortable on the ball and that's good to see. Uh, um, because I remember when he was signing White, one of the strengths that was that was being spoken about was uh, like he can carry the ball out. But how many times have we actually seen him do that? There's really no need for the right back to do that. But if he moves into the centre midfield position, like there might be a case made for like he can also dribble out of tight spaces. So I think that's where uh, we can like change the dynamic depending on who's out. Uh, and we can like use him, so I think that's uh, really good for the team right now. So can I can I just speak through then? Because I I had similar ideas about him playing from the center, actually informed in a different way. Because I think seems to be maybe I'm a bit on my own, but I'm always concerned about someone being able to replace Saliba's ability to sweep in behind. So I was even thinking about whether um, Timber could do that. And then from there, what he would be doing in possession, which would mean that he would be the right centre-back. The one thing that I just want to lay out then is the way we're thinking about it, for example, let's say, is left-back Kivio, right? Um, potentially then left centre-back, either Gabriel or Saliba, right centre-back Timber, and then right-back Ben White. Then in possession, we have Timber moving forward, making a back three of, let's say, Kivio, let's say Saliba, and let's say, let's say White. And the two in front being Declan Rice now on his preferred left interior, 
timber being on the right side? Is that how you guys see it? Basically replicating somewhat of what Stones was doing on the right side. And from what I've read, I I have not watched... I used to watch a lot of the Eredivisie in COVID days, um, but not, not in the last couple of years. From what I've read, he is a very tactically intelligent player. So it does kind of line up then, I think, even with those Stones sort of comparisons. Is that how you guys kind of see us moving forward and then ahead of them being Odego and potentially Havertz or whoever plays that left eight role. Yeah, for me, yeah, definitely. And and I, I think you have, well, I'll, I'll take back definitely, but you, just yes. Um, <laughs> but for me, that's also why um, having him operate in central zones, I don't think he's as comfortable out wide. And in central zone, if something, if something goes wrong, um, he has those sort of, uh, well, Arsenal players around him, either side of him. Um, and also he's good. I think one of the, he's a good, he, he's similar to Gabriel in terms of defensive temperament. I don't think you would pair him um, with Gabriel. I think you'd more so pair him with the sweeper being Saliba. Saliba. Um, and it's more like a straight line sort of hunt you down, get onto your back and hound you because of his frame or, or lack thereof. So I think that's more suited to um, the counter press from the pivot position um, rather than the wide centre back. The nice thing there is that I think you spoke about it in the doc that we prepared is that there was a Deserbian way of sort of building out. And I think if you have a, a centre back pairing of Saliba and Timbo, you're very well set for those sort of negative touches then to move forward. And then guys like Wright and Kivior, um on the, on the, on the sides, right? The one thing I wanted to ask, and this is sort of maybe a little bit by the by, but you spoke about how you think we're not interested in in Timber because of his his difficulties defending wide spaces, right? Not something I personally have an opinion on yet, haven't watched enough. But do you think that that's something Arteta particularly looks out for? The reason why I'm wondering this is because if we look at, this is a personal opinion, but I don't think Lissandro is that great defending wide spaces in what I've seen of him at United. I think he's particularly exploitable. I think if you even look when we had um, Jesus coming up against him in wide right early on the season, that's when it first kind of stood out to me. He's quite exploitable. Um, and then even I'll back up because remember, there were a lot of sort of links. I think Lissandro was meant as that left back. And the fact that the guy that we got instead, Zinchenko, was the guy who ended up being our left back? I think kind of confirms that, but also I don't think Zinchenko is particularly great at defending those those wide areas. Now it's something I think is important, and it was frustrating at times to see Zinchenko kind of exploitable from there. But do you think it's something that Arteta is more willing to compromise on in order to have that ability out wide on the ball? Maybe. Yeah, I think yeah, it's definitely a good point. Um, it's hard as well, isn't it? Because obviously, Lissandro didn't join us. Um, but I think I don't know. You're aided. He would have been aided in in that vein with having sort of a a pod of Shaka and Gabriel, who are sort of steely dual winners as well. I, I don't. Yeah, it's it's a good point. I think as well. I mean, it's easy to say this now because City have just won the league doing it, and people are going to place disproportionate emphasis <laughs> on it, but. Having centre back like or just centre backs out wide, um, sort of leggy players who can cover space, who have the right orientation. I think White and Kivior fit that more more than Timber does, um, who's a bit more diminutive. But 
yeah, no, it's a good point. I, the it would have been interesting to see how Lissandro wouldn't fit. Perhaps, in. perhaps on that side, it was something he was more willing to compromise on because I think Gabriel's particularly good at defending when he pushes out to the wide spaces, to the wide areas. I just want to touch upon this last bit that we were talking about. Uh, so, if if Timber starts at right cent- right center back and. Uh, I think that's a great point because if you think about it, uh, when we press our right back, our full backs go up, and that leaves us susceptible to long balls uh, because we saw that like how Mitoma exploited us in the second game versus Brighton. Uh, because usually that would have been Saliba who pushed out and then dealt with him. But if we don't have Saliba and we're playing him uh, at right centre back, we definitely want someone. Uh, because we're, we're saying that he would be the pivot player, so he'd push up. Uh, but then you want somebody at right back who's better dealing with 1v1. Uh, so that has to be probably Tommy Asu then. Because White uh, just really gets beaten very easily 1v1. His body positioning, the way he stands is not good. So I think that that's something interesting to think about. Unless I'm misunderstanding, but that's a remaining sort of issue that maybe we wouldn't have dealt with from last season rather than a new issue that comes up, no? Yeah. Yeah, that's not something that new comes up, but okay. it's a trade-off between uh, losing Saliba and then who starts at right centre-back. So you can go either of two ways. Either you can go Timber, who then you think about inverting him or pushing him into midfield, or you just put wide right, cent- uh, right centre-back. I think ultimately it's something that's going to remain from last season where you, I think White has improved, but I agree against particularly good 1v1 players. He he lurches a bit too much and then it gets gets done. I think it's just relying on Saliba to basically, based on how that player takes on White, be able to react to the situation. Something I think he did really well last season. And then obviously also what we saw with guys like Pate basically then filling in for Saliba's position, you're either relying on Timber getting back there or you're relying on, on Declan um, Rice to move back there. But obviously, that'll be situationally dependent on the transition itself and who's committed where at the point of transition, no? Yeah. I think as well, there's, like, in a vacuum, because, um, yeah, I, I mean, as Manus touched on, our fullbacks are key to the counter-press uh, in the final third when we lose the ball immediately. But I don't think there's enough from what I've seen and heard. Again, I haven't watched enough of them. But from what I've seen and heard, although Timber would be um, well-suited to counter-pressing in those moments, and because you're high up the pitch, there's less risk, I think there's also less reason for him to be in those zones as a whole, out wide. I don't think he's the overlapping or underlapping threat that Rice is, nor is he the creative um, threat that, that White is when White sort of, hovers into those half space zones when we really have a team penned in. So yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one. It's interesting. I think the one thing that I'm I'm most concerned with in those moments in defending transitions is actually having someone to to replace um Saliba in, in terms of being able to sweep up behind. And from what it sounds like I've heard contradicting things, maybe depending on when people are watching him, but he does sound like a, quite an aggressive player. Um, but also someone who's very good in those in those moments defending transitions in, in terms of taking up the right spaces to protect. So so ultimately I think that's an interesting an interesting dynamic. Um whether you can basically play a number of different roles. It sounds like a similar thing with 
what we're looking at with Havertz. Um, if there's nothing anyone else wants to add here, I think we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get back into speaking a bit about maybe how all of this will then impact on the offense um, or the front line and maybe some ideas about load management and general tactical ma- malleability next. And we're back from our break, uh, perhaps a bit longer than we expected it to be. What happened is we recorded the first part and then took our break in the second part of this podcast, initially recorded on Wednesday, got corrupted. So we're back now on Sunday um, to cover over the second section again and, and touch on things. So forgive us if we maybe track over ground that we had earlier in the pod. But hopefully we can cover everything that we did originally. Uh, how are both of you? Thank you for coming back. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Shall we get straight into it then? Um, I think one of the one of the more interesting qu- questions that we need to deal with, and what we've done so far in the pod, is really spoken about how we see the midfield as well as the defense, and all of this coming together in a tactical sort of setup. Um, how that's going to look. But of course, that is always going to lead into the attack and affect how our attack shapes up in certain ways. Um, so what we're interested in discussing in this last part is the dynamics of how our front line might look. And yeah, I think one of the, the main questions that we did touch on a little bit is that Havertz and Gabriel Jesus or whoever our striker is, how they're going to link up. And I think an interesting question there is, is Gabriel Jesus actually the right fit for Havertz in terms of the striker that he would best play off? Um, Lorcan, I think you had ideas there. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's interesting because even asking that question sort of presupposes that Havertz is going to be playing behind the striker, um, which is interesting because we've talked about him in, in a myriad of different positions. But um, yeah, I, I think there are particular um, moments in games and maybe patterns of play we might see if Havertz is playing off of a striker like Jesus, um, with Jesus sort of um, abandoning the, the box, the last line, and creating space um, in which Havertz can run into. Um, equally, I feel like Havertz does would do his best work. I mean, we talked about it at the tip of a diamond, um, where the striker ahead is someone who's uh, who can hold up play and who can run the channels who's a target man, if you will, um, and who can sort of shift gravity by himself so that there's space openings that Havertz can run into. Um, So I'm interested not only where Havertz plays, but also the dynamic he hopefully can can forge with one of the two strikers, if not both. Um, But yeah, I think both can work. Which one do you see working better? The reason why I ask that is we we speak a lot, and I think we did earlier in the part when we spoke about Havertz, is him kind of needing space, not needing to be, you know, physically contesting players or pushing around players to to get his shots off right. Um, but we've, we've kind of spoken about two different ways in which to create space. One is with Eddie or a striker like Eddie kind of holding that last line, pinning it a bit, creating space for him to run into. Whereas with Gabby J, it's a bit more dynamic, dropping in, pulling players with him and creating space, maybe vacating space for him to arrive into the box where the striker usually would be. Um, I'm interested in how you two, which one you think better suits Herberts? Uh, I think, uh, like Logan said, like it's at the tip of the diamond, I think he'd 
be doing his best work because uh try just like behind the striker but i i can also see him being uh or see us uh being more uh chaotic or rotational in attack so like our wingers hold the width but now probably we can see maybe Jesus going to the right wing Havertz attacking his space or Saka coming inside a little bit at the same time and then maybe he's rotating with Martinelli a little bit and allowing Martinelli to come inside so i think uh, he'd do his best work at the tip of a diamond but again like we will have trade offs with that as we've spoken about uh, because Odegaard would probably have to like be underneath the attack uh, at times uh, but yeah i think uh, i've sort of convinced myself that he's going to start on the left side uh, as the eight i think as well um it's worth I, again i don't know if we touched on this on wednesday but it's worth noting that um Gabriel Jesus can be and we've seen him beat very different types of players um and how he was sort of unleashed when he went to arsenal at least that, or at least that was the narrative he had more um freedom more of a creative license whereas pep supposedly shackled him to different zones um you can see him play that more conventional nine role if you will like he's not going to run the channels or be as much of an outlet as eddie um at least in behind but he's still uh he can still hold up the ball he like really well um he's you know like got loads of um strength and and is good at holding off center backs we saw that a couple times this season um trying to think i think it's the bournemouth game like the first few games of the season he had a crazy um way he set up a crazy goal um so i guess it depends like maybe gabriel jesus's role becomes more focused with havertz in the team um but equally like manas said i could also see um jesus playing somewhat of that false nine role um that he did play last season and then we begin to have more rotation even more rotations in the final third um maybe they're like split tens and build up i don't know it's an interesting one because not to maybe move it back into midfield but the other reasons you're speaking about the free role that we we give um Gabriel Jesus and i think that's part of why he likes playing Arteta so much and he and he ha- he spoke about that right early you know still in the honeymoon period about how much he prefers playing in a system where he's allowed to move anywhere and be valuable where he sees himself being valuable rather than being you know constrained and waiting 3 minutes to touch a ball when he's out on the wide like on the wing on the right or on the left um but i'm also interested maybe because there are some concerns about Havertz's ability to kind of help us build out from deeper areas if we sort of see that sort of um the rotation there where Gabi J who i think is actually really good at at actually building out from deeper areas just as you know he's press resistant he's a pretty good passer from deep actually um and then having Havertz float forward the one question i do have is havertz this seems to be some sort of um questions about his ability to actually lead or run in behind rather than run on to things do you guys have any questions there or do you think that that would work potentially yeah i i mean i definitely do as him um the focal point of attack as we have seen him there for probably the best part of 18 months now um I don't like him doing that at all. I don't think he thrives under contact holding up the ball um despite being relatively, you know, technically secure and stuff. I think yeah, he does his best work, which is why I um commented on Eddie's presence, but does his best work when he has that gravity ahead of him. Um and then he can look good running in behind or or um 
yeah, when the when the space maneuvered for him, if you will. Um, and then at the same time, I think he again, which is why like one of the things I thought we needed to really focus on this window and sort of still do for next season is sourcing quality and settled attack because we had such a reliance on rotations as a um, means of creating, you know, or garnering threat. Um, but at the same time, Havertz really thrives with rotations, with arriving in central zones. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a confusing one. I, I think I read a stat where he was the second highest uh, number of runs into the box in the Premier League last season. And number one was uh, Holland, of course. So, I think, yeah, he's, he's very good at running and, like, stretching the back line and, like, which sort of then results in more space in between the midfield and the defense. And like that now that ties into uh, him sort of running those channels and making those runs, having, you know, enabling maybe Martinelli to come inside more. Because we know that Martinelli can score uh, like from his left foot, right foot, headers, everything. So I think it allows both Jesus and uh, Martinelli as well. And to some degree as well, Saka to sort of change their game a little bit. Uh, by just having sort a player like Havertz there, which maybe Shaka didn't allow us because uh, I remember Shaka when he started playing eight, he was making good runs at the start of the seasons. Like he was going into the box, he was making the overlap, he was making the underlap. He scored a lot of goals from it as well. He then he sort of tapered off, like those runs weren't coming in as as much as they were before, and then he started doing it again and then scored more goals. Uh, and you see, uh where the goals he scored a lot of it from like right from the penalty spot from his right foot a lot of the goals that he's scoring yeah do either of you have any theories why Xhaka started doing those runs less or was it very much linked to basically our post World Cup tactical setup which was missing Gabby J and suddenly became a lot more I guess I'd say not vanilla it's not the right word but more standard less very definitely in rotations I think the main, so, I mean, it could, it could be a factor of two things. One, of course, like post World Cup, maybe he's just not feeling it because he's been playing like a lot of football. But I think a major reason is that he's not completely wired to make those runs as well. Like sometimes he may see the space and he wants to go there, but like he's sort of wired to be underneath the attack and support, like from the half space and he's putting in crosses to the back post. So, maybe there's a bit of both. Like, he's sort of not that attacking-minded uh, as much as we want somebody who's playing there to be. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think um, Gabriel Jesus, for me, was going out of the team was probably a main one because um, Shaka's offensive threat was largely to do with vacate occupied principles where we had those left-hand side with Gabriel Jesus rotations. Um and then there was that moment where Jorginho came in the team who's less likely to cover... You, well, you give less responsibility to cover space than even Partey. Um, so we lost a bit of central compactness um, when we lost the ball in the final third if Shaka was to bomb forward. And that was towards the last sort of like third of the season. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, and obviously it went hand in hand with, I think, Odegaard's role. Like there was a lot of talk at the beginning of the season how... Odegaard had um, was important for build up, um, and I think he did improve that aspect of his game. But I think as the season waned on, Shaka was 
much more the um, the reserved one with Odegaard picking up those pockets um, in sort of zone 14 and stuff. And then Shaq actually did pick up towards the end. He scored that Leeds goal. So yeah, it was a mix. But I'd, I'd say Gabriel Jesus going out of the team was sort of the impetus from memory, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think I buy all of these things. I think they're all factor. And I think another one is maybe just as we got later into the season as well, there's that feeling of like not losing, holding on to a win, a win rather than that free-flowing sort of the way that we kind of saw how Xhaka picked up again once the title was out of our hands. Um, I think that all plays into it. But I do agree very much that that was how we wanted to use Xhaka last season. I think it was clear literally from the first, second game that we wanted to use him in that sort of attacking role, very much arriving into space, which is why Havertz makes so much sense to me. And what I mean when I see him as a Xhaka replacement, maybe not out of possession, but very much in terms of what we were trying to extract from Xhaka in possession, I can see us getting that from Havertz. It's funny, every time we speak about Havertz, I get more and more optimistic about how it's going to be a success and I get more excited to see how it's going to work out. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, one thing I would say is Havertz, from what I've seen and when I've watched Chelsea, which admitted over the past year has not been too much because I have better things to do, but like, <laughs> he does we all do he is yeah exactly he, he he does strike me as someone who is a threat with runs from deep and can take those large strides but I, I don't know I his box arrival for me is best when he's already in the final third and it's more his movement's more tempered um, where it's more instinctive and he can gravitate into space rather than just sheer running power straight line running power like Shaka yeah. So that I think he's probably better from the right rather than the left. But at the same time, there are moments from the left where I've seen him be um, a threat as well. So, And that's that's an interesting part of the discussion because at least from when I've seen Havertz, we've spoken a lot about him in the middle, but when I've seen Havertz, I've been quite unimpressed with what he's done in wider areas or underwhelmed at least. Not that I've focused particularly hard on him, but... He has always seemed best in the middle. Um, and if it is one side or the other, much better on the right than on the left. And having spoken to a couple Chelsea fans, um, CFC Central, three great accounts, he himself spoke about how he doesn't think Havertz offers much at all on the left. But it's interesting that he has been spoken about as an option across the front line. And it sounds like now we're not really looking, at least going by the rumor mill, right? We're not looking for a, another wide forward to add to the attack, right, as replacements or backups for Martinelli and Nelson more than we already have. And I'm interested to kind of discuss where does that leave us with our, our wing reinforcements? Um, and yeah, where do we kind of go from there? Do we see Havertz as someone who's really viable in those areas, replacing what Saka offers out wide? Particularly him, I'm, I'm worried about who we can actually use to replace him. Sorry, um, you had a... Yeah, so I'll just one... Uh, point that I want to touch on and that we haven't spoken about with regards to Havertz is his heading. Because right now across our front line, we just don't win headers at all. Like we, we want to stick the ball up at the far post, but we're not winning uh, enough headers in the box apart from those that we score from set pieces. Uh, so I think that's a big factor and probably something that Arteta wanted to change. That's why he's gone for someone. And uh, Havertz is six feet four. So he's he's winning headers with ease, I think. Like and his numbers on aerial duels and the percentage that he actually wins is very good. 
uh, but yeah, so coming back to your question, like the, the like in terms of wingers, right? Uh, I don't personally, I don't see Havertz starting from any other wing, but we do need to manage so like uh, both Martinelli and Saka this season because we just Saka just lost all his pace and like agility and like spark and like he was sort of playing at ninety percent, eighty-five, ninety percent, and. Uh, after the break, like I don't know if you guys saw the England game, uh, and he was like quick again, and he was fast because he had like a f- couple weeks, two and a half weeks, I think it was. Uh, so he had rest, uh, and then he's like again, like he had his spark again. So, and I think we sort of have uh, profiles now that can uh, be rotated into. So on the left, we have options. Trossard, uh, Nelson can start on the left. Nelson can go on the right as well. Uh, and of course, like I think we'll see Jesus play from the right as well a little bit this season. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I've seen a few tweets, and it's it's really hard because it's always journalists, right? And you don't know what they've been briefed and stuff, but they've commented on his what seems to be his positional versatility. Um, we've talked about already how he's a bit of a tweener and stuff, but that isn't to say that I like Manus. I wouldn't really like to see him start on any of the wings irrespective of you know the fact that we have a lot of rotations and stuff um i kind of see him as enabling other players to move elsewhere like Magnus touched upon so i i wouldn't mind seeing him start as the nine with jesus as the right winger um that's kind of how i see it as of now as well yeah i mean that's something i've been very open for even when you know with eddie last season and it was frustrating that we never seemed to consider Jesus is a wide option, so I'm not sure if we will next season, but again, there needs to be a lot of change. Not only we've spoken so much about the tactical setup, but also in terms of load management and just shaking things up at times. Like We were playing soccer through the last couple of weeks of the season, and he played in the England game You know, while he was looking after a an Achilles heel, um, not Achilles heel, Achilles tendon injury. So, so it's something that I think I wonder how much of it goes into what Arteta's had available to him so far in terms of the players he's had and how much it goes into just what we've kind of seen with Arteta being kind of stuck in his ways as a coach and sticking to certain um, to certain things that work. And maybe I feel like speculatively there's something about playing Jesus at nine that part of the reason Jesus came is because Arteta said, oh, I'm bringing you back to the nine. I'm going to let you kind of play the nine role that you want to play. I think that kind of plays into it. But I do think next season, I think Jesus is the best option behind Martinelli on the left and the best option behind Saka on the right. So I really hope that it's something that we can um, entertain, especially with someone like Trossard, who I know maybe I'm more alone, but I don't really like him on the left or on the right. I just don't think he has that explosiveness to really create separations and, and add quality offensively to us, to us in those areas. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he looked best when he was playing as a false nine. And even like we, Saka played every single game, right? Apart from, and I remember because I was there for the game, but it was the Leeds game. He didn't start and he came on in like the 60th minute when we were 3-0 up anyways. Um, but in that first half, we looked so impotent with Trossard on the right. Like it was like circulate the ball and it would come back. Um, and I agree, I think Jesus is definitely the best right winger behind Saka and probably the best left winger as well behind 
Yeah, so I think on that note, I also want to see um, Gabriel Jesus at wide. What we did last time we did this section of the pod on Wednesday is we also highlighted the most important or key players, core players, let's say, that'll be the spine of however the system's going to end up looking next season. I think we, we all agreed on Saliba. We all agreed on Rice. Let's hope he comes. Um, I think we, we all ended up agreeing on Odegaard to some extent, particularly because if you compare to the other profiles, he's the, the main sort of brain in the final third, we can say. Lorcan put forward Martinelli. Um, minus, remember, you put forward Ramsdale, who I definitely agree with. The other person was, of course, Sarko, who's maybe the most important in terms of building around. Not necessarily structurally, but once you get to the final third, in terms of getting him in good positions. Do we think that it's necessary? Because Gabriel Jesus is, is a good backup. First of all, I want to ask, do you think he's someone who can really replicate exactly what we want from Saka in those areas? But then secondly, is it more important for you guys to have this ideal backup for Saka? Someone like Olise is someone I could think of doing largely the same job, potentially, right? Or do you think it's more important to add that tactical variability that we didn't really see last season? I think uh, Jesus doesn't give us exactly the same thing as Saka because Saka is, I think, much more dynamic, um, especially beating 1v1 uh, from a standstill. So, like, from going from zero to, like, taking somebody on. But I think once Jesus gets, like, going, like, he can beat anybody. So, I think he wouldn't, like, the drop-off from Saka to Jesus, if he has to start from right wing, wouldn't be that steep. Uh, so he can definitely like play there. Like means he can start there. But then, uh, let, let's say who then who goes number nine? Like, like it sort of like affects the whole thing. Uh, probably you'd say Havertz goes false nine, but I I uh, either go Eddie or Balogun, depending on which one we end up keeping. I'd just keep Havertz where he is. Uh, but like on the left wing, we have more options than on the right. So it now really depends. Um, considering that maybe if Saka gets injured, I think Jesus is good enough, good enough option to to like go into the season, I think. Yeah, I think as well the way, which is part of the reason, apart from his quality, but part of the reason why Saka was barely ever rotated last season as well, is that the way that we use our wingers, they are great and... Um, are most dangerous when they're closer to goal, but ultimately they still hold the width. Um, and they were both amongst the best in the league for um, being able to retain the ball. I know, um, for example, like Martinelli gets bantered for his dribbling style and such and struggles with creating separation when cutting inside. But they both are really good at just keeping the ball, especially Saka. Um, and part of that is just from a stylistic point, they're both wrong-footed, as it were, or on the wrong side um, so they have more passing angles inside and Jesus doesn't have that obviously because he's a, he'd be a right footer if he was replacing Saka um, but he does have pretty great uh, sort of retention know-how as it were um, I would ideally you kind of want a left footer who's also good enough there like sit I mean I hate to compare us to City but City had Mares and Bernardo and sometimes even used Foden there um, but I think ultimately, given what the holes in the squad are, you can cope with rotating Saka um, in those games that you choose to do it with and Gabriel Jesus and maybe a Nelson. 
Yeah, I think I largely agree. I think if we're looking at the signings that we're making, I think maybe next summer is the one where we really try to add a, a forward. I think someone like Musa Diaby would have been nice this summer. I don't think he would have been a replacement for what they can do because I don't think he has that, I want to say, pause from the wing to kind of slow down a game. I think it's something that would have needed to take a bit of time. As we've seen, has happened with Martinelli, a striker, I think, well, a, a, a winger, I think, a couple of seasons ago. I definitely did not see having this kind of ability to control the flow of a game. Um, but yeah, that looks like something for next summer. I do think we can really replace Saka in a number of ways. When we get yeah, to next season, when we get into the final third, I think one of the things we're going to need to do to to manage his games, because obviously Saka is going to want to be starting Premier League games and Champions League games. That's not sustainable over you know, the course of a month playing what can potentially be six games um, or, you know, over the season. So we're going to need to find different sort of solutions. I think Gabriel Jesus is something like that. I also think last thing before we move on is it's going to be interesting is how we can try to get um, Saka rotating in closer to goal. Um, we started doing that at the end of last season a little bit more. Uh, I think Jesus pulling wide a bit more is an easier route to that. I'm also, also interested to see maybe when we have someone like Emil Smith-Rowe or Fabio Vieira, or even Havertz playing in that right eight spot, right? Um, those are different solutions, more so than I think Odegaard offers in terms of getting Saka more interior, right? Yeah, I, I think we um, we did well towards the latter end of the season in fluctuating width really well to get Saka closer to goal. But you can do it much easily by, as you said, getting maybe like Smith Rowe on that side. Um, sourcing some kind of dynamism for that sort of KDB overlap, um, which again, you don't really see Odegaard do. You sometimes do actually, um, even though he doesn't really have a right foot, but just for the purpose of getting Saka inside. Um, so yeah, that was one of my concerns going into the window. Um, it has happened on the other side as well with Martinelli. And I think we will start to see as we did last season, Martinelli even starting as a nine, just for a stretch of five, 10 games. It would be interesting if we saw Saka do that as well. I wouldn't be too surprised if, if we did, like Saka as a nine. Jesus is the right wing just for like five, ten minutes of a game. Um, but yeah. I mean, he almost kind of did in the final, second final game of the season. He spent a lot of time central. But yeah, I wouldn't be against it either. Ultimately, creating that fluidity where it's hard for people to know who to mark and it creates a lot of space, I think, is is the plan. Um with that said, I think we've kind of got to the point where we've got a general idea of all the things that we could be doing next season, or many of the things we could be doing next season. But in a way, we've created far more questions about how, at least for myself, how we're actually going to shape up next season than answers. So before we end this part, I think I'm going to come to each of you and maybe ask you to take a stab at what you think the likely dynamics will look like in each part of the pitch. Uh, I think uh, it's hard. Uh, I think we still go with a 3-2 build-up. Uh, my initial assumption was that Party might stay, but it looks like he's going. So, Dinchenko, Rice, uh, Gabriel, Saliba, White. That's your base. And then you attack with five. Uh, Martinelli, Havertz, Jesus, Odegaard, and Saka. I think that's sort of plan A as far as I can see it. Yeah. 
I think that's a it's a good um, stab at it. I th- it's so hard. Like I've 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 gone back and thought forth because I, I I do I really do think Havertz looks better in those right eight zones or or higher up the pitch in those in the final third towards the right hand side than the left. So even if I, I just struggle with him as a direct replacement for Shaka, even though I've I've seen all the reports about him supposedly being the left eight. Um, yeah, I think again, like Zinchenko injury concerns as well. Like apparently he's not fit; he's still not fit, um, which I think is maybe why we got Timber. I wouldn't expect to see Timber and Zinchenko on on the pitch at the same time. Um, so yeah, I. And I, I'm not answering any questions here because we saw <laughs> we saw Kivio left back, and I, and that's why I wanted to see as well. I think I agree with Manas. I guess if I had to like put all my money on it, I think we'd start the season with that three-two Zinchenko pivot and Havertz. Yeah, I'll just uh, I'm gonna copy Manas. I I agree that we're gonna start it that season. I think if if we had to say how it's going to look. I think Sinchenko will be the starting left back. Um, and I kind of think Havertz will probably start. I think we're going to have that sort of input. What I'm interested in is, obviously, we're speaking about this and we one of the key sort of discussions here is that we are expecting to see a far more tactically malleable team, right? So I wouldn't be surprised, and I think this is where you're getting Lorcan, is because you, you were also the one who spoke about... Timber may be starting at right centre back and stepping up, joining the pivot. I wouldn't be that surprised if we have a Kivio, Saliba, Timber, White sort of back line, Declan Rice deepest with two players ahead. The reason why I think these dynamics work is I think having Kivio and White at, as your right and left centre backs opens up so many different angles that you can access. Saliba, obviously, great as your deepest, as your sweeper, um, drawing pressure when he needs to. Timber is someone that I'm really interested to see if he does actually join the pivot from that right centre-back role rather than the right-back role. And the reason why I think that also works is because, at least from what I've watched, Rice does look best in that left half space when he's carrying through there, more so than the right half space. So I think all of those dynamics sort of work. I don't think it's something that we'll jump to soon, especially because Gabriel is the leader of the defence at the moment. And I think that he's a big part of the reason that it's going to stay with Zinchenko coming inwards, also a leader of the team. And those those things are important. But I can really see that becoming a sort of an option. One thing I don't see so much, Lorcan, is Odegaard ever moving to the left. Because I think we would have seen it by now, more so than we have at this point. And I think he is quite important. But maybe maybe a bit more internal switches between, not in, inside switches between him and Herberts is potentially something we could see. Um, I'm not so sure. You had something though? Yeah, I was just going to say, because I think I talked about the possibility of um, Timber joining the pivot. Um, I have watched like a couple of games of him since then and asked a couple people as well. And he doesn't seem to be like, like that's not something he's um, been tasked with doing overly. Um, I've seen him be, there's several like affordances that's created, that's given to him rather defensively. So where he might be, might follow his man to try and get there um, and then once he loses out on that duel and the back line sort of recovers possession he's already higher up and they can play through him given he's more sort of diminutive has a quicker turning radius and such but I, yeah I agree with you I don't expect him to join the pivot anytime soon and I also don't expect him to 
if he does do that, do that from right back either. Um, yeah, so that's all I wanted to say. Any thoughts, Manas? No, I agree. I mean, uh, it's it's a lot of if ifs and buts, but I think the start of the season we just go safe and like with what Arteta sees as his best eleven, which I think would be the one, like the one that we all agreed on. Uh, and then mm, as the season goes on, uh, because now we like we'll see how good he actually is because we now know he can do plan A, but now can he do plan B or can he do plan plan A point five? Uh, can he change things in between game states? Can he rotate suddenly uh, in a in a Premier League game because we have a Champions League game in midweek? So I think this season will really tell us where we stand and like where, but like how good Arteta really is. There was there was one thing I was thinking of as well, and I'm purposefully saying this at the end because I don't think it will happen. But like I was quite confused as to the Lavia interest as to just where he'd fit in the immediate term, which I think is pretty important when you're spending when you're first of all like spending time on a transfer, but also spending this much money on a transfer at this point of the project when you're meant to be competing. I do wonder, and I'm just floating this out there. I don't, I'm not convinced by this, but I do wonder whether, um, as we're talking about like tactical malleability, Arteta is actually thinking about jostling between shapes because we play in a nominal four-three-three, creating a like a three-two build-up, and that's so we can arrive in the final third as a unit, um, and we can secure territory, which is helped by Zinchenko inverting. But when Zinchenko isn't there as the second pivot, and we talked about like Timber doesn't, we don't think, I mean, we don't think he's too suited to doing that as of today. How do you secure territory and arrive in the final third as a unit? And Lavia, as we've seen, can play as one of those pivots. He played as almost a lone pivot um, in build-up for Southampton, but would look better in a two. But then isn't like that advanced eight that shuttles down next to the pivot. He's more so that second six. So I guess like what I'm trying to say is I wonder if the Lavia interest is maybe us playing like a 4-2-3-1 with Havertz as the 10, with split 10s, like like Deserby style, as it were. I can see it. Wait, wait. So then just explain the rest of the the midfield then with Havertz. It would be Rice and Lavia double pivot with Havertz as the 10 and then whichever striker ahead being those like two 10s abandoning the last line to receive from like a more direct Deservian style I can see so not Odegaard and and Havertz um no I I guess Odegaard wouldn't be in this lineup okay okay sad for me um (laughs) but it could be as the 10 maybe (laughs) um I can see it. I think I think it's an interesting thing, and this is also where I wanted to take the discussion before we ended. Is we've spoken so much about like how we can build into that final third, but I think the main thing that we needed to see and need to see from Arteta is how he changes things up in the front in the front five. Let's actually say right, and how he changes the the dynamics there because I think that was where we started to struggle a little bit or became more predictable in the dynamics that we went through with right. Um, with regards to how 
Lavia factors into that, maybe I'm doing Arteta a disservice, but I think it's it isn't tactically motivated. I think he sees him as a really good player with really high potential who can be trained into a couple roles, but also offers qualities that will be really nice, let's say, in the last 30 minutes. Lavia is someone who, you know, under pressure can keep the ball, can, can pass it. That's someone maybe that you would put on for Havertz and then hold the game. That's that's more how I see Lavia is, is not someone that's going to really impact or is not core to how the team's going to shape up this season, but is someone used for the longer term. But uh, I still think we could see the that shape regardless. Um, I'm not sure how it would be. I guess Lavia would be the one coming in then, or maybe Jorginho with Rice as the nominal eight, and then you could have two strikers, and it kind of gives you that extra security. That's something that I could potentially... Definitely see. I'm very interested to see how we change up the dynamics in the in the front line because I think that's something that we see in like Pep will often do, right? Everyone focuses on what he does deep, but it really does impact on when players are arriving and the dynamics up front. So so that's very that's where, what I'm interested. I could definitely see something deserving deserving happening there. Yeah, I mean it could it could happen, uh, especially if Odegaard isn't playing or you want to rotate with Odegaard. Uh, so it might be worth having a secondary system that you can instantly fall back on. Uh, and like it sort of confuses the opposition as well because they are expecting us to you know, attack five lanes at a time and then you suddenly change and you go classic 4-3-1 maybe. But yeah, it could work. So that's the exciting part going into next season, knowing that we could do a lot of things. Uh, but where we fall, like, like I'm, I'm excited to see where we actually end up. And it, and it ties back in with with load management as well. Like the, we seem to be recruiting these players who have uh, ambiguous positions, if you want to call it that, um, in different ways. We have a lot of athlete first players as well. So yeah, I, it just. We haven't seen, we've, we talked about this before, we, we haven't seen, it's one of the main criticisms of Arteta, we haven't really seen him rotate the squad in the best possible way. I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable criticism. I think he's even talked about it himself. And it's how he does that next season. Because it's, that's, like, he has to do that. Because we're, we'll be fighting on more fronts. And we'll be hopefully going that extra step and actually winning one of these trophies. So it's just how he goes about doing that. And I suppose that's why the transfer window is quite exciting because we seem to be recruiting these players, which maybe allow us to be more tactically malleable. Yeah, absolutely. agree. I think that as we've all kind of touched on is, is one of the core things that we've seen from Arteta, even from last season, starting to see maybe there were more key pieces, but even with Rice, someone that we all see as a six at this point now, um, I can see him being an eight. I can see Havertz. I can see Havertz playing across the front three, um, definitely as a nine potentially. And Timber, we still don't really know whether he's meant as wide backup or competition or Saliba backup competition. I think both. Um, so yeah, I think with that said, is there anything more that you guys want to add? I just want to finish with one thing. I think. Uh... Finally, like we've talked about load management and having the people play multiple roles, but one thing that allows us is to have a smaller squad in terms of numbers and 
invest more money into players power position so in if you go if you look at depth as 1v1 uh so like if if left back goes out some other left back comes in but now maybe you have someone else come in and play left back so that allows you to invest more money in a smaller squad of players and get more quality because they can play multiple positions rather than having like 16 17 players uh but then the drop off from the first team to the to the backups is is significantly larger and crucially also it keeps everyone it keeps everyone active yeah. and match fit rather than as we've seen not everyone can be an Olneni and come in and star immediately as he drops in um i think tnee's a great example of someone who when you put him in after a while it takes him games and games and games to really get back to full form which is part of the reason why i'm kind of happy to see him move on for his sake as well as as ours um but yeah i think we could keep speaking forever and do a whole new pod I think we should end it here. It's been lovely having you guys both on. Thank you for coming on a second time. Um and always yeah, very enlightening to speak about this with you guys and especially particularly this is a a topic that's really interesting to me. So yeah, thank you so much Manas. Cheers, thank you. Thanks for having me again. And where can people find you Manas? I forgot to do this last uh, time, but on Twitter at @whatmanafc. Manas has got some really great visas up and going at the moment always makes really good points um and then lorcan where can people find you um lx writes one i think on twitter perfect and lorcan as well lots of cool tweets profiles <laughs> <laughs> lots of good tweets yeah and especially in terms of player profiling and looking at their qualities um but yeah The music is by James Blake. I can't remember if he's like jazz or what kind of music he does, but he's great and you can check him out in Tals with we'll the description there. Thanks so much and I'll see you guys um yeah, another time.